Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Nicole Coons, and I will be reading Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17. Then Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves. He said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a hideout for crooks. People who were blind and lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and legal experts saw the amazing things he was doing and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were angry. They said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, he answered. Haven't you ever read from the mouths of babies and infants you've arranged praise for yourself? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nicole, thank you for reading the scripture for us today. We appreciate you doing that. So let me just say a word about uh, the announcement that Sandy and Kathy just made. Um, uh, I had a chance to visit with John this past week uh, uh, for about an hour and a half. We had a great conversation. He really is energized and excited about coming to serve Stonebridge and to serve along with you. I think he's going to bring skills and experiences uh, to the leadership here that I don't have, and so there's going to be a, a blessing in that sense. And so I think you can look forward to great leadership with John. Now, I want to also say for anybody who might be visiting here for the first time today and thinking, wait, what? So let me explain a little bit about what's going on. It was announced recently that I am uh, going to be leaving here in, July, in June to go and serve a church in Mesa, Arizona. And so the process has been a new pastor will be assigned to this church. So let me say a little bit about that process. It's called the appointment process. Some of you who come from a United Methodist background know the drill. I mean, you kind of know how this works. Those who do not come from, this, uh, from the United Methodist background, you, what you may be familiar with is what a lot of other churches have, and that's called a call system. And that is the call system that, that each congregation has opportunity to search and find and interview and vote on their own pastor. Uh, that's, there's not a good or bad way to do it. That's just a different way of doing it. The United Methodist Church does it differently, and it's been this way since the 18th century uh, when our movement was founded, and that's called the itinerant system. So we clergy um, who have a relationship to an area, what we call an annual conference area, um, we are sent to serve, so to speak. We are deployed by the bishop and district superintendents to say, I think we think that strategically that pastor makes most sense there for that church in this given time. So, uh, so and, that, and that happens every year. It happens every year. And generally, a uh, pastor in the United Methodist Church stays where they are for a little while at least. I mean, so technically, I've been appointed to serve as lead pastor of Stonebridge United Methodist Church six times, because I've been here six years. So that's kind of how that works. So when I uh, initiated a conversation about the possibility of uh, moving closer to family, um, and that was, that, that, that was granted, so to speak, and I was able to explore some options, and I was invited to take a church um, by the district superintendent and bishop in Arizona uh, to move out there. 
And so that created the time that the staff parish relations team needed to have a lot of meetings, more meetings than they knew they were going to have <laughs> this spring. Uh, and so they had the chance to meet uh, John and Amy this week. So this itinerant system is, is just, it's just different than what a lot of other traditions have. And what I want to say, too, is that I know, I've, I mean, I've done this for a while, and I've made my moves to different places and, and moved from places and moved to places. Uh, and I've also been a district superintendent. So I've also been for four years in that room in the spring over a series of weeks having conversations about when there's an opening at a church. Openings can happen for all kinds of reasons. A pastor retires, a pastor has health issues and needs to step aside, a pastor needs to move closer to a family member, their spouse got a job somewhere else. I mean, it can be all kinds of things. And that creates changes. And so the bishop and cabinet start trying to figure out who best is the best person in that church, that church, and how do you do that? We've, we've never, we were never capricious about that. We were never flippant about that. And I know a lot of people like to believe that they just yank a pastor out of here and put them over there. Discussing one church situation and still not make a decision and say, we got to pick this up tomorrow. It is a lot of prayer. It is a lot of conversation. And there's a lot of information that the bishop and cabinet have of this church as well as of the, pe- the pastors that are under consideration. So it's a very, very careful process, um, and I wanted to make sure you knew that, especially those who don't come from a United Methodist background, and you're thinking, wait, don't we get to vote on this? Uh, it's just a different, it's a different arrangement. So I think you can look forward to John and Amy being here in July. They will, they will bring a, a different viewpoint, different skills, different energies than what, I've, what I bring, and I'll go to a place that I'll bring different energy and insight to a different place, a different church when I get there in Arizona. So appreciate your prayers through all of this. But the thing is, in any church, regardless of whether it's our United Methodist system, whether it's a congregational system, whether uh, whatever it is, churches go through change, right? Churches go through change. Everything goes through change. Workplace goes through change. Uh, cities, communities go through change. Change happens. And change is one of those funny words that often what you, when change, the notion of change comes up, what people say is, well, I don't like change. Right. And then somebody says, no, change is good. And then somebody else says, but we're not going to change just for change's sake, right? Yeah, there are a lot of different ways we think of and, and play around with the notion of change. I think that in general, we're okay with change. I think in general we are. Because so let's look at this in a couple of different ways. One is the kind of change that we choose for ourselves, right? We decide that, I, uh, you know, you want to be more uh, financially stable. You see yourself, you see a vision of a preferred reality in the future. I'll be more financially stable. I, I want to be healthier. I, want to, I see myself as a healthier person who has more energy and feels better uh, every day. And so you have this, and so you think, okay, there's things i got to do to get there. And so that's, that's kind of good. That's good. And we want to do that. The, the difficulty is, is, in order to get there, we have to go through the transition period. We have to go through a transition period. We have to do the things. We have to change our behavior, maybe expectation, may change our expectations, but in order to get to that change. 
I mean, how many people start the year, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, how many people start the year saying, I'm going to eat better January 1st? Start eating better. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to start, you know, we start these things January 1st, and by about January 4th, it's starting to crumble, right? It's not because the change is, becomes unpleasant or, or, or something. It's because that transition period is hard. That's what's hard about it. Point A to point B is it's not without obstacles and difficulty. We don't like the transition process, the transition frustration, the transition not knowing. I mean, am I going to be able to really achieve that? And if I do achieve that, is it really going to be worth it? Is it going to be the payoff I think it's going to be? The uncertainty of it. The transition is the hard part. Now, that's just talking about a change that we choose for ourselves. There are those choices in life, change, I'm sorry, changes in life, that are not of our choosing. Now, those can be all kinds of things. Um, a guy I knew many years ago that, boy, I mean, that, every time it seemed like he heard of a triathlon advertised, he was in it. He was doing the triathlon, loved doing triathlons. But, what, but his neck started to bother him, went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you, you've got to stop running. You've got to stop running because you have something degenerative going on in the vertebrae in your spine, in, the, in your neck. And so if you keep running, that jarring from running will ultimately break one of your vertebrae. That wasn't his choice, but he stopped running and switched to different forms of exercise. Sometimes it's the workplace. You find out you're getting a different manager, different director. Sometimes it's that you're put in a new project group. Sometimes it's at the school you attend, and there's going to be changes at the school, different principals, different teachers, something's going on. It can certainly be a change at the church, which is not something you necessarily choose, but it's going to happen. So with any of those kinds of changes in our lives that's not of our own choosing, I think there's a couple of things that we really just need to be aware of and pay attention to. One of those is that generally with any change in life, changing from one thing to another means that the thing that you leave, there is a loss involved, a loss of something. I mean, even having your first child, you lose that freedom and flexibility at 1130 at night to say, let's go get some ice cream. All of a sudden, it's like, well, no, we can't. You know, it's not going to happen. You lose something. And so when you lose something, there's grief involved. So to be aware of the grief and aware that, that there's a loss I have and I need to pay attention to the grief because grief shows up in different ways. Grief can show up as denial. Oh, I don't, I think we can change this back. It can show up as just deep sadness. It can show up as anger. Lashing out. It can be a part of grief. I think the second thing we have, to, we have to just pay attention to is that in, in a lot of these kinds of changes, especially the ones that involve uh, involving other people, is we have a fear. And the fear is displacement. Or, or maybe to put it another way, we have a fear that I'm not going to fit in the same way going forward. I mean, if you get a new supervisor at work and you think, oh man, I used to always, I, I had the ear of my previous supervisor, well, I have the ear of this one. Are they going to, am I going to have the same relationship or not? And if not, what will that mean? You fear displacement, fear not fitting in. 
So, even in the change of a pastor, you may think, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, is this going to be the same? Do I fit the same way? You just got to be aware of those things as we go through a transition process. This is true. These things are true of congregations going through pastoral change. These things are true of pastors going through change. We have our own grief and our own fear in the process, too. It's part of the transition. There's a big difference between change and transition. Well, we're in the Easter season. I mean, this is a really appropriate time to talk about change and transition because this is when we explore the transitional power of the resurrection and what it means for our lives. We often think of Easter as, you know, one day. Easter is one day. Uh, But the Christian church has observed for centuries a season of Easter. Yes, it begins on Resurrection Day, on Easter Day. But it's a season that lasts 50 days. And it is during this time that we we explore the power of the resurrection where Jesus was was alive. Jesus died. Jesus is alive again. I mean, wow. (laughs) Talk about change and transition. So that power then... 50 days after the resurrection is poured into those people who were gathered in that, what we sometimes refer to as the upper room, where God enlivened and empowered and gave birth to the church. So this breath of power that we see in the resurrection all the way through the birth of the church is what we're exploring right now. So that resurrection power in the church. What what would that mean exactly? What is church to be? What would that mean? You know, it's a favorite question of uh, consultants and facilitators working with all kinds of organizations uh, to ask the question, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in this organization or in this church, for example, what would you change? Well, there's all kinds of responses that come out of that, of course, right? There's all kinds of responses. Somebody will say, in regards to church, well, the church should be more of a place of comfort and healing and support. Some might say that the church is to be the place of social change. We need to be the voice and be the witness of those who can't speak for themselves. Some would say the church should be the place, we need to be a place of evangelism, where we're expressing Uh, God's love for the world and the forgiveness through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you too can become a part of God's family that should be evangelistic. Some would say if I could change something, we'd have bigger worship services or or louder music or something. It would be something around worship. Or church should be a place of teaching and discipling. We need to study more. We need to learn more. So which one? I mean, which, which is right? Well, the answer is Yes. They're all there. They're all important. We, it's just that it's important not to say there's one thing we've got to do as church. Because the New Testament reflects that all of these things are to be included in the life and work of the church. All of them. So it kind of actually kind of loops us back to the Scripture today. The Scripture where Jesus goes into the temple area and turns over the tables of the money changers at the temple. Now, that is a scripture passage uh, that you might have heard in the news or social media in recent months, uh, and it's, uh, wow, been horribly misunderstood and misrepresented. So let's make sure we know what was going on. 
This is at the same time, actually this is the very next thing that happens, after Jesus enters the east gate of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and people are cheering for Jesus, Hosanna for the son of David, thinking their Savior has come in peace, Palm Sunday. While on the other side, on the west gate, Pontius Pilate and all the government and military are coming into town in this giant show of force in the the domination system of the Roman Empire. So the next thing that happens is Jesus goes to the temple. Because let's make sure we remember what was going on. This is the time of Passover in Jerusalem. And so you had people, thousands of people from this entire region who would make pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem for Passover. And one of the things they would do is they would go and they would make sacrifice at the temple as an offering to God. Now, that was in the days of animal sacrifice. I know we don't do that uh, anymore, but that's what they did then. And so after traveling all those miles, they would need to uh, purchase something to make sacrifice. And generally it was for doves. That's what they would use most of the time. Well, outside the temple, you know, we often think it's the temple. You know, like our church, you just get to our church. But the thing is, the temple was surrounded by these large grounds. I mean, there's a lot of space around the temple. And it was in that area where you would have the money changers and the, those selling doves. So the people come in, they need to purchase a dove. This has happened, this had been going on for a long time. Jesus didn't turn over the money changers those times. You see, this was intended to make a specific statement at that time. So, the thing is, these people use different currencies, different money, Right? And so when they would get there, they needed to have a currency exchange. Just like in the mall. I mean, pretty much all the malls around here anymore have a currency exchange booth. So they needed exchange so that then they could buy a dove. Except what they got it changed into was the currency of the Roman Empire, which had the image of the emperor on the coin, which was also whatever money they brought in was taxed in order to exchange currency. This was a reflection, like I talked about a couple of weeks ago, this was a reflection of the ways that the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, were in collusion and in collaboration with the Roman government. Jesus saw this as a form of idolatry. That, wait, people are coming to make an offering to God, but they're getting taxed for that by <laughs> the Romans, and the people enabling it are our own leaders. It should not be this way. And so he makes a public statement, right, by turning over the, the tables of the money changers and throwing over the chairs of the dove sales people to say this is not what God intends. What God intends of the temple and church is that it would be a house of prayer. And Jesus then even quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 56. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. You have turned it into a den of robbers, of bandits, of thieves. There's different words that get used. But the idea is you've, you've allowed, and put it in another way, you've allowed the enemy in. The Roman Empire is not who we want to be. And yet we've let them come in and we're working with them. In Isaiah, it goes on to say that 
we are to be uh, a house, uh, house of prayer for all nations. Now, in our day and time, we get caught up on the word nations because we think of what we think of as nations, you know, geographically bound, politically driven, you know, countries that establish relationships with each other. That is not the way the, the ancient world thought of nations. I mean, at this, at this point, the Roman Empire ruled all this area. And you could have said there were a lot of nations within the Roman Empire, but I guarantee you they were not independent states. <laughs> they were ruled by the Roman Empire. So the idea of nations in the ancient world was different people groups. The word in Greek for it is, for nations, is ethnos. People of different ethnic groups, people groups. All people are welcome in God's house of prayer. So what does that house of prayer look like exactly? Well, when you think of prayer, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, one of the things we think of in prayer is we, it's about expressing, right? It's expressing our joys and our concerns to God. It's about expressing uh, our prayers for other people. It's about expressing those things. It's about meditating, about hearing the Scripture read, the Word of God, and then meditating. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family, how I interact with other people? It is, it's about listening, listening to God's voice in my life. It's about aligning or orienting my life to the teaching and example of Jesus. It's about serving, serving within the house of prayer as well as taking that servitude outside the walls. And it's about including house of prayer for all people, that all are invited in. Now, when we begin to think of house of prayer in that way, we begin to realize that it's about the purposes of God. That, that it's, it's about, well, it's God's house. It's God's house. Yes, there are different varieties of that. Ours sign out in front of our building says Stonebridge United Methodist Church. There are other places, other outposts of the house of prayer with different names. But it's, it's God's house. It's not my house. <laughs> not our house. It's, this is God's house. We had the opportunity to serve and be trustees of God's house to make sure that we are faithful to God, we honor God, and we serve people well. So at any time in our lives, yes, there should be a time that we could look to the church for comfort and healing. That any of us should look toward the church for inspiration when we're feeling uncertain. Look to the church for a place of challenge when maybe we're a little too comfortable. Look to the church for service, a place to serve in a meaningful way. A place for outreach, to invite, to include other people in, and a place of learning. The way I guess, the way I put all this in a single sentence is that church is to be experienced as the resurrected Christ for all. Church is to be experienced as the resurrected Christ for all, because it's that same power of resurrection that God blew into that gathering of people to establish the church, which then began to expand around the world which we live today. So yes, change happens. Change, change happens. 
how we frame and understand and manage the transition is what makes the difference as we worship and serve through this house of prayer. So let's pray. God, we're, we're grateful for your love and grace that has welcomed and included us. We thank you for uh, the power that you demonstrated through the resurrection of Jesus, the power that you demonstrated by enlivening that group of believers 50 days later, the power that gave them the ability to take the good news around the world so that people everywhere could hear about your love and grace as expressed through Jesus Christ. We thank you for that power that continues to move through this place in this house of prayer so that we can more become the individuals that you would have us to be, but also to be the faith community that you intend us to be, that we would be the participants in a house of prayer that truly would be a place of joy and a place where we do live and love like Jesus. All this we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.